Welcome to Mile High Magazine. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping events in Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. And good morning. Welcome into another edition of Mile High Magazine. Happy Sunday to all. And this is Murphy Houston. My pleasure to introduce Reggie Bika, head of the Colorado Department of Human Services, to join us today. Reggie, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me, Murphy. Happy to be here. Yeah, first time we've met, but I've heard some good things about you. Uh-oh. That you do a pretty good job. <laughs> I'm glad my mom called. <laughs> <laughs> it was your mom. Come to think of it. <laughs> but anyhow, we want to talk about what you guys are doing over at the uh, Colorado Department of Human Resources, uh, mainly on the level of child abuse, which is a you know, tough topic, but reality. It is reality, and it's perfect timing. April is Child Abuse Prevention Month all across the country, and uh, we, we want to take this month of all months to make certain we're lifting up the voices of young kids and families who uh, need our help to make sure that they're strong and healthy, and when things uh, go awry, all of us have a responsibility to step in and make sure that kids are safe. Words well said. Thank it you. is our responsibility to make sure these kids are taken care of. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's one of those topics, I think, when people hear about child abuse, I mean, the hair goes up on the back of my neck. Literally, when I see it on TV, or you, it, it, it. First of all, I feel like I'm going to cry, and then I get very angry about it. It upsets me, and it yeah. should upset people. Why? Why does that happen? Why, why is this happening to children? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, um, it's not an easy thing to say why it happens, but what I do know is that uh, all parents struggle from time to time. And most of us are uh, blessed to have some supports in our lives, uh, a parent who can step in and give us get advice or take over uh, when I just need a break from my kids or uh, a neighbor who might be friendly and helpful to me to, to help me decrease stress. Um, uh, we have some financial resources that can help us through those difficult times in life. Not everyone uh, in Colorado, sadly, has those sort of supports and resources. And sometimes uh, life gets overwhelming, gets difficult, and then you contribute things like mental illness or substance use disorders or other challenges that people are experiencing. And and sometimes um, uh, things get out of control for kids. And that's why we all need to be here. Not only state government and local government, but all of us have eyes and ears and a way to step in and report when kids are in harm's way. So what is the uh, CDHS, Colorado Department of Human Services, doing to raise awareness to help prevent this horrible situation? Well, we have a public awareness campaign that we started a couple of years ago uh, that um, is a reporting hotline that's available across the state because we know that um, uh, professionals from time to time have a, ha, uh, come encounter with kids who've been abused or neglected or risk uh, think that kids are at risk of abuse or neglect. But by and large, it's neighbors, it's family, it's the folks at church, it's the people in the parking lot who see something that doesn't sound right. So we want to make certain that folks all across Colorado know that we have a 1-844 number. It's a toll-free number, even though it's 844. Okay. 1-844-CO4-KIDS, 264-5437. This is a reporting hotline anywhere in the state where someone suspects that a child might be in harm's way. They know that there's a number, there's a place to call. Uh, they don't have to be the ones to determine that a child's been harmed, has been abused or neglected. Let the professionals get involved and to help those families get resources. But you know, as, an, as you said, neighbor, family members, whatever, it's a hard thing to do. I mean, you're interfering in people's business and you know something's not right, but what do I do? But it's a the right step. That's right. And, and no one, I, I think many of us, I shouldn't say no one, many of us think, uh, well, I don't want to to be the snitch. I don't want to be the one to call. Maybe I overreacted to something. So what we've said is you dial the number, we'll make the call. And most people who are reported to the child abuse and neglect hotline, there isn't actually abuse or neglect. But what we're able to do is connect that family to preventative services to get in when things are starting to bubble out of control, to help them get control, to help them get the support, the education, uh, the nurture that they need in order to prevent something worse happening for kids. And if you call that hotline and you're reporting what you think is going on, that's pretty much anonymous, right? You're not saying, hey, your neighbor's called. and It's absolutely anonymous. As a matter of fact, you can be anonymous. You don't have to say your name. But even if you did, we're prevented by federal and state law from sharing who the reporter is in every circumstances. So it's 100% confidential. That's important to know, really. 
because it, that might open some people's minds to help out a little bit. Absolutely. And, and uh, I think sometimes people are anxious to call because, well, I saw something. I'm not really sure. Don't worry about that. Pick up the phone. Tell somebody what you saw. Let them make the call. And as I said, most of the time it's really about a way for us to get out to a family uh, and offer them some resources and support that can prevent something from uh, something worse happening. Good point. So I read we're back in 2015, the Colorado Department of Human Services, in partnership with more than 150 community-based organizations throughout the state and Governor Hickenlooper, mm-hmm. launched a public awareness campaign to engage all Coloradans in the prevention of child abuse. And the slogan is, we all play a role. Good slogan. So what are some of the things that people can do to help with that? More than what we just talked about. Right. Well, yeah. not just uh, the hotline right. where you make the call, but, you know, uh, get the word out about the hotline. Uh, we have over 30 family resource centers across the state. These are nonprofit organizations available in most communities in Colorado or near most communities where families can go to get support. They can uh, learn parenting skills. They can develop relationships with other parents, which can be so. I don't know about if you have children, Murphy, but I can tell you as a parent of, of three kids, uh, having someone that I can just talk to, that I can vent to, who can give me a tip is so incredibly important for me to be a strong parent. And these family resource centers and other prevention programs across the state play such an important role. It really does. And you're right about having somebody to talk to because it, it is a lot of pressure between, and I have four children, adult children, and seven grandkids, mm-hmm. which is a different ballgame with grandkids. <laughs> but you're right. There are times between being married or jobs or other problems in family, you need somebody to talk to. You need somebody to reach out to. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned uh, grandkids also, because one of the things that we see in this 21st century is more and more grandparents taking care of their grandchildren. Oh, that is so true. Yeah. And and those grandparents also have uh, some additional challenges, right? They they're, don't have quite the stamina that they had 30 years earlier. They um, don't have all of the networks that parents have available to them. Uh, They're dealing with things that kids are experiencing in 2018 that kids might not have experienced in the 1970s or 80s when they were raising children. absolutely. The list goes on and on. And so keeping grandparents who are raising their grandkids at the forefront is so important in this month as well. Well, it really is. You talk about, you hit it right on the head, that stamina thing. (laughs) We had had three of them spend the night, three of Uh of our grandkids from one family, so the mom and dad could go away for their anniversary. And I thought, oh, this won't be so bad, 24 hours? I was exhausted. (laughs) But it was fun. It's grandchildren, it's a different treat for sure. I know the CDHS and local agencies work to help families all year long. So what are you trying to do to address the problem that way? Well, uh, we have created, uh, the governor announced a couple of years ago, a child welfare plan called Keeping Kids Safe and Families Healthy. And part of the premise of this, not only to creating the hotline, we wanted to have a stronger linkage between primary prevention and Uh, and our child abuse and neglect hotline. We don't think in Colorado kids should have to experience being abused or neglected before they and the families get the help that they need. So we created programs like Safe Care Colorado, which is available in many communities across the state. Uh, This is a a home visitation program where professionals and paraprofessionals come out to the home on a voluntary basis. They offer parenting advice. They offer uh, support. Uh, they connect folks to other community resources that might be helpful. Uh, and these types of services are playing a, a really important role in our state at preventing abuse or neglect from happening in the first place. Well, that's a great thing to do. Is there like a phone number? Is it different than the hotline to reach out for that kind of advice? You can call the hotline that I said, which, right. by the way, is 844-CO4-KIDS. And we'll say that several times in the minutes ahead, so you make <laughs> sure you get it down. We will yeah. indeed. Here's a simpler number if you just want to connect somebody to services, 211. Uh, it's run by oh, Mile really? High United Way, 211. You can call for just about any uh, question you might have, and those folks would be able to connect um, uh, parents or family members or neighbors to other resources that can be helpful. I'll bet that uh, service has really been beneficial for the state of Colorado for people in need. It has been tremendous uh, throughout the state, uh, absolutely, at getting folks connected. You know, if you're, you, We're talking about Child Abuse Month, but even if you're – uh, homebound and you're you're by yourself and you need somebody to to come over and do the plumbing and you don't know who to call or 
or you need uh, home care services. 211 is a, a service that's free of charge all throughout the state that people can call and get access to information and services. I'm glad we could bring that up because how do you get that information out to the public? If we're not talking about it on Mile High Magazine, what else do you do? Well, I was going to say thanks, Murphy, for yeah. giving us the opportunity to talk about it. You know, we do things like billboards. Word of mouth is so critically important. Right. That's why right. this conversation shouldn't end with just you and I today. Hopefully it uh, sparks folks across the region to have conversations with people at church, with their next door neighbor. Did you hear what Murphy was talking about today? Well, that I word agree. of mouth is so critically right. important. We have Reggie uh, Bikana with us, the Colorado Department of Human Services, and I'm learning as, as you go along all the wonderful things they're doing. It is a Child Abuse Prevention Month, which is a, it's sad we have to have a month for that, mm. but it's an awareness we need to present to everybody. Don't you agree, Reggie? It is indeed. Yeah. And you know it's been making a difference, Murphy? Child abuse and neglect, the good news is it's been on the decline for many, many years, not only in Colorado but across the country. And it's because we're starting to have these conversations, getting the word out, and we're connecting families who might be at risk to finding different ways to raise their kids in a safer, healthier way. It's making a difference. Good for you guys. Good for you guys. Now let's maybe change a little bit, but this probably ties in. I know last fall, the Colorado Department of Human Services raised a call for 1,200 new foster families in the next five years. To me, that seems like a lot. Mm-hmm. It's sad that you have that need, I would think, for that many families. So what can you tell us about that? How's things going? Well, we have a foster care program in Colorado because, sadly, about mm, just under 7,000 kids at any given time in our state can't live safely in their own homes. 7,000? 7,000 kids, give or take, wow. on any day in Colorado. Um, and, and so we need to not just have enough foster homes. We need the right foster homes because right. it's so important for children to be able to connect with a foster family who can know them, care that for them, uh, and, and can feel right for them, as well as making certain that foster families are getting the right kid uh, to make that match so well. So uh, we have about 2,000 foster parents in Colorado today. Our goal is to increase that number by 1,200 in the next five years. Some people are worried about, well, I'm, I'm not the perfect parent. Let me tell you, I am not the perfect parent. Well, who is? Right? <laughs> really? Come on. Uh, but any of us can be a foster parent if you're single, if you're married, if you're not married and you're living with a partner and the two of you want to make that commitment, uh, if you're retired, if you um, uh, are of any descent, it doesn't matter how much money you're earning. We need all kinds of folks to be able to find the right match for our kids in Colorado. That's a great piece of information, that it's open to those many people and those different kinds of lifestyles that they can, you're welcome to be a foster parent. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we especially have needs for children um, and and caregivers who are from the LGBTQ community, Hispanic children, African-American children. Um, If you're deeply involved in church or not involved in church, it doesn't matter. We we need all people who are willing to open up their hearts and homes to kids in care. So once you become a foster parent, I mean, obviously there's some criteria. Is it you are questioned about if you're capable of being a foster parent? We sure do. So in Colorado, you can be certified to be a foster parent either by a county human services agency, 64 of them across the state, or a private licensed uh, child placement agencies, they're called, uh, and a whole host of them, Lutheran Social Services and, and a whole variety of private agencies. Either way, you'll go through, you and your family will go through an assessment and they'll ask you a lot of questions about your own experience, why you want to be a foster parent. They'll look at your house or your apartment uh, to make certain that you have sufficient capacity in your home to care for a child. Uh, They'll do criminal background checks and a whole host of other checks to make certain that that you uh, are safe and are prepared to be able to meet the needs. Here's the other really great thing that we've developed in the last few years in Colorado, training. Oh, including really? pre-service training. So if you're just exploring, I think maybe I'd like to, I don't really know, sign up for one of the pre-service training classes. You can meet with other folks. You can ask all of those questions and find out if foster parenting is the right thing for you and your family at this point in your time. In time, Do you have to have other children to be a foster parent? Can Absolutely. you be single and think, this sounds, sounds like a way I can help a child? Absolutely. You do not need that was the wrong answer to the question. Murphy, you do not need to have children in order to be a foster parent. Uh, you don't have to be married. You can be single. Uh, you, uh, as I said, retired. One of the one, uh, years ago, I worked with a foster family, Frida and Al, 
uh, were their first names. Uh, retired couple from Arkansas who moved uh, to retire, and they were some of the most amazing foster parents uh, that I've ever worked with. So they come from all sure. uh, parts of life, all parts of the life scale. If you are at all interested, you got an extra bedroom in your house that you're not quite sure what to do with because <laughs> your your high school kid moved on to college and you've got some extra space, or maybe you've retired and you have some extra time to volunteer, or maybe you do have uh, a child or two and you have room in your heart and in your house for one more or two more kids, please give us a call. Let's talk about it. When you take children away from a family to put them in a foster situation, Mm -hmm. do you try to keep everybody together, all the brothers and sisters? We really do. What we know from now years of research about, uh, about separating children from their families, keeping things as close to normal, uh, the least amount of change is what does best for kids. So we try to keep children in sibling groups intact together. We try to keep kids in their own schools so that they can maintain uh, relationships with their friends and with their teachers. Good point. If kids are um, uh, have a mentor or are involved in sports or some other extracurricular activities, we want to keep all of those things the same uh, because the least amount of disruption for a kid minimizes the impact of, of trauma uh, that they might experience from being removed from their home. Uh, here's a question I think some are wondering. Is there financial help for that? I mean, if they have kids and think, God, we have a big heart. We, we'd love to take somebody in, but boy, it's the budget's tight now. Right. Yeah, we do provide financial assistance for foster parents for caring for kids. And we have legislation going through right now. Keep our fingers crossed that the legislature passed this that would um, have a better chance of ensuring child care supports for foster parents. So if you're a working foster parent, you and your your spouse are work, both working, we want to make certain that uh, there are resources available to pay for child care assistance while you're being a foster parent. It's legislation that's going through right now to make sure that happens. That's a great thing. How does the state of Colorado compare to other states when it comes to fostering? Are we on cutting edge and right up the top? Are we still learning a lot? How's that working? Well, I like to think that Colorado is the best state in the country for all child welfare services, but we know that there's always uh, more work to do. One of the challenges is because we don't have enough foster homes, um, too many of our kids end up in what we call congregate care. These are group homes or residential treatment centers compared to other states across the country. We know if we can increase the number of foster homes, uh, we can provide the right supports to those kids and those foster parents. We can decrease the number of kids who are growing up in, in group homes uh, and get them where all kids deserve to be, which is with a loving family. And once you're a foster parent or family, can you quit at any time? Or once you're in, you're hooked forever? <laughs> you can quit at any time. Uh, if you want to foster one child and say, I've done my piece, uh, or you want to foster for 25 years, um, it's, it, everyone is individualized. Sometimes families will come in and I'll foster for a while. My wife and I were foster parents years ago. We fostered for a while. Then we had our own family and we decided we didn't want to foster during that period of time. That was just our choice. Um, and then you can bring foster kids back in later when it's more appropriate for your time of life. So it's a very flexible program. Um, it, it, uh, I have often said, based on my experience, um, it's too bad that the, I think it's the Peace Corps took the saying, it's the toughest job you'll ever love, because I think yeah. foster care is actually the toughest job you'll ever love. Well, that would be a tough job. I mean, you at some point, you're not going to have those children forever. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. Foster care is intended to be a temporary service, that you're caring for children until they can safely be reunified in most cases or sometimes uh, go with a relative for a guardianship or or be placed for adoption. But foster care is intended to be temporary. It's one of the things that we try to work with foster parents on because we we it's important that children feel loved and nurtured and feel part of a family, but it's also important that we successfully transition that child to another family or back home. Sure. And uh, doing so in a way that maintains those bonds, those relationships, is really important. And it can be tough, but incredibly rewarding. I'll bet. And I'll bet that's a conversation if you have existing children, because I would think the children really bond. I mean, the moms and dads bond, but think of the kids. Thinking, mm-hmm. hey, I got a new brother and a sister, and we're playing ball in the backyard. How great. Then all of a sudden they're gone. Yeah. That, well, that, that, that does happen. We've also seen many, many times those relationships continue even though they're not living in the same home. Uh, well, we've you'd seen, hope that. We've seen foster parents uh, who sometimes will become a respite provider for the biological family. Uh, maybe they provide babysitting services. Not required, but it's a way to continue those relationships 
across families that is so powerful for kids. Well, let's get back to kind of what we're here for. Fostering mm-hmm. is important, but it is Child Abuse Awareness Month, and uh, Reggie Beek from the Colorado Department of Human Services is here to talk more about that. And one of the earlier conversations we've had today, Reggie, we talked about if you're a neighbor or a family member and you're concerned about something going on, and you're not sure, but there must be some signs of child abuse. What could you look for if you suspect something? Well, sure. So um, child abuse can take many different forms, everything from emotional abuse uh, to physical abuse, sexual abuse, and and neglect. Um, If you see children who have, uh, for instance, unexplained injuries um, or bruising or injuries in places where it doesn't shouldn't normally take place, for instance, in in the face or uh, in the abdominal area or that sort of thing. Um, That can be a sign of abuse and neglect that you might want to call and have somebody take a look at. Listening to children. Children will often tell us. They might not use the exact word, somebody's hurting me, but they'll give us indications that things aren't quite right and they need somebody else to to, uh, raise some questions. You know, one of the phenomenons that uh, we're seeing in Colorado uh, is that of human sex trafficking, sadly. Well, I hear that's really bigger than people even would imagine in Colorado. It, it really it really is. And I think when we think about child abuse prevention, uh, we think about young children, which makes sense. Most kids who experience sure, abuse sure. and neglect are under age five. But we also know that our teens are at risk of abuse and neglect, particularly when it relates to human sex trafficking. These are kids who... Um, uh, sometimes uh, are good kids but connect, get connected to the wrong people. Sometimes they um, uh, run away because they're frustrated with something going on in their life and they get connected with somebody who brings them into this uh, horrible world of uh, wow. selling them in one form or another. It's important for us to keep an eye out for this, to report it, to let law enforcement or a human services agency know if you suspect a child who might be being trafficked. Yeah. What would be the signs? I mean, what, what should you look for? Well, uh, you might see these kids um, if you go to a less than reputable place to get a massage. You might see these kids if you um, are at a truck stop and uh, it's late at night and you see kids wandering around who shouldn't be wandering around. These would be the types of signs that you may want to call somebody and uh, have them check it out. Around Denver, even sometimes along the 16th Street Mall, you see groups of young kids late at night mm-hmm. coming out of a restaurant or after a ball game at the Pepsi Center and you head that direction. Is that something you should be aware of? I mean, these children, are they on their own or is that a sex traffic situation too? Uh, it could be. Uh, most A lot of times, you know, kids like to hang out and be out on the mall where other people are. Uh, but we do know that there are kids who seem to be passing through who might be panhandling and so forth. We should be concerned about those kids. And they may not necessarily be being trafficked, but they clearly could use some additional support and and offering them a hand to connect to somebody more than just putting a dollar in their basket, seeing if there's some way that we can connect them with somebody who can actually lift them out of their situation is important. While we're talking about the child abuse, which is a hard topic to talk about, as a parent, if one of my children approach me and Mm -hmm. say, I think my buddy Johnny next door, I think there's a situation, and maybe not physical, it could be mental, as we Mm -hmm. talked about earlier. What do you do about that? Do you sit Johnny down and question him and and maybe embarrass him? Or do you just try to be more aware, watching him? What do you do? Well, you could be more aware. Um, If you have a relationship with Johnny, you might want to ask if how things are going and if there's a way to help. But that's not really what you need to do. There are professionals who can do that sort of work. And so if you get information and can take the time to call the hotline that we talked about, 844-CO4-KIDS. The professionals will guide you through um, what you're seeing, what leads you to to be uh, suspicious that some concern is going on. I should tell you, it's not a quick phone call. It's not like dialing 911 and you you do something in about a couple of minutes and then you're off the phone. These phone calls take a little bit of time, about 15, 20 minutes per phone call, because we're trying to get information about all kinds of things going on in the home, both problems as well as strengths that the caseworkers might be able to use to help families who uh, come into the system. And it's not a obviously a recorded message. You're talking to somebody that's going to help. You're talking to a person right. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We have professionals available to take these phone calls. And so how people think in the state of Colorado, we live in a great place. Most families are fine. Is it child abuse really a, that big a deal in the state of Colorado? 
Well, as I said earlier, the good news is child abuse is on a decline nationally, and we continue to see it declining in Colorado. That's great news, great news for kids. Uh, That said, about 13,000 children in our state were substantiated for some form of abuse or neglect in 2013. 13,000 children in our state experience some form of abuse or neglect. Do you see a stunned look on my face right now? I, I sure do. That's an unbelievable number. And that was in 2013. That was 2017. 17. Yes, that was just last year. Wow. Um, and sadly, <clears throat> 30 of those children died as a result oh. of abuse and neglect. Um, we need to get the word out. Most of these kids who... who experienced the worst forms of abuse and neglect were never reported to the system. But somebody knew, somebody saw something. Somebody knew. Somebody was wondering. Somebody saw a single mom who was struggling to find a caregiver for their kids and brought in uh, a a new boyfriend who ended up then shaking a baby. That if we had had the right childcare for that mom might not have occurred in the first place. Uh, Some people see parents who are struggling to hold down a job and uh, main and parent two or three kids that might have some special needs or be difficult and it's overwhelming for them and they need some additional support if those folks pick up the phone excuse me pick up the phone and give us a call we might be able to reach out to those families not to get them into the child welfare system necessarily but to offer them some preventative services that could really make certain that those kids are safe not experiencing abuse and neglect not getting into the system it's important i have to tell you about a something that happened to one of my neighbors Mm. uh at the grocery store and sees a mom yep. being abusive with a child in, in the grocery store. And it so shocked her that she went up and interfered. Mm. Well, it got to be very ugly, mm-hmm. as you might imagine. Do you recommend doing something like that? Do you just watch it happen and not say, hey, wait a minute? I don't recommend uh, intervening because we don't know how volatile the person is going to be. Well, that's what and happened. We, yeah, we don't. We we certainly don't want uh, someone to get in harm's way. If something is happening right now, there's abuse or neglect occurring right now. Call nine one one. Call the police to come out and intervene right away if something's happening immediately. If it's something you see over a period of time, or maybe a child has an injury but they're not in harm's way immediately, or um, the condition of a home is something that we see neglectful situations where, where um, uh, what does that show that, that you see people, um, hoarders. Hoarders, uh, who are oh yeah. Living that way and can provide a very unsafe environment for kids. If you see those things, call the uh, 844 number, CO4KIDS, and report that. But if it's an emergency right now, do not intervene. Call 911. Stay out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So before we wrap up here, I've been told about pinwheels. We talk about <laughs> pinwheels that are planted during this time of year. What's that all about well, with you guys? you will see lots of pinwheels across the state uh, throughout the month of April. Pinwheels are fun. They're whimsical. They remind us of kids. And this started out years ago as a way to symbolize all of the children who have died due to abuse and neglect across the country. Pinwheels became that symbol. Now pinwheels are really a symbol of hope, of optimism, of reminding us about abuse and neglect, reminding us that if we intervene early, if we strengthen families, if we provide support, if we call before things get out of control, we can prevent kids from experiencing abuse and neglect. So where will we see these pinwheels? Like alongside the road, in stores? Uh, You'll see them all over. Come on out. Go get your own pinwheels and plant them in your yard. Matter of fact, Illuminate Colorado is an organization in our state that uh, focuses on preventing child abuse and neglect. They're going to have, uh, during the month of April, a little contest, a pinwheel garden contest, I'm told. Oh, really? Yes, where you can, they, they want to look at creative collaborations of people or businesses who are putting pinwheel gardens uh, up in their locations, take a photo of it, send it to Illuminate Colorado, post it on Facebook, and whoever gets the most likes, I guess there's some sort of an award that's going to be. Really? I'm just a, just just a rumor. I'm just, just saying. saying. <laughs> uh, but get your pinwheels. Gosh, you can get them at a dollar store. You can get them anywhere, and they're really fun. And, and it's a way to say to your neighbors, to your family, to your friends, hey, I care about kids in our community. I'm doing my part to make certain that I'm, I'm on the watch for kids who might be uh, experiencing abuse or neglect. And it's a nice way to just get the conversation going about why do you have a pinwheel in your yard? Well, Good because idea. we care about kids. Here's this phone number if you ever see anything. It's all of our responsibility to make sure that kids are safe. Good way to kind of wrap it up, Reggie, except I'm going to ask you here in our last minute of time, please repeat the needed phone numbers. If people have questions they want or they need help, what do we do? Remember 211. 
211 is the number you can call run by Mile High United Way uh, here in Denver uh, that can get you information, access to services and supports. It's available to anybody, not just about child abuse and neglect. But if you want to report suspicions of child abuse and neglect or a family that you think may be in harm's way, you want to intervene, want someone to sure. intervene, the number's 1-844-CO4-KIDS. That's 1-844-264-5437. if you don't know, it's an 800 number. It's a toll-free number. It doesn't cost anything. I guess there's too many 800 numbers, so now oh, we have yeah. to use 844 844- yeah. 844-264-5437. Reggie B., Colorado Department of Human Resources, a pleasure to have you on today. Thanks for the information. My pleasure, Murphy. Thank you. And that's it for Mile High Magazine. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. The National Survey on Drug Use and Health indicates 11.8 million people misused opioids in 2016, including pain reliever misusers and heroin users. 70% of heroin users in Colorado indicate they started misusing drugs with prescription medications. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. Prescription opioids are initially given for short periods of time, for about seven days or less, to address acute pain. After that, Misuse can occur, with 75% of those who are doing so indicated they got their opioids from a doctor, family member, or a friend. Colorado recorded 472 deaths from opioid overdoses in 2015. It is why the state is working to lessen prescription opioids. Those abusing their drugs is becoming a paramount crisis in America. With the abrupt shutdown of Arapahoe House, Colorado's largest drug and alcohol treatment provider, other organizations and facilities are feeling the pressure to take up some of the slack, especially when it comes to assisting women. Among them is Mile High Behavioral Health Care. On this edition, we continue our conversation on women and opioids with James Gillespie, former client and now volunteer Cindy and clinician Lauren Brown of Mile High Behavioral Health Care. There's not a one-size-fits-all. Each of us is individu- are, are individuals, and we've had different life experiences. So we provide you know, the traditional evidence-based therapy uh, that you find in the books. But the reality is we find power in successful peers coming back yeah. and saying, I've been there, I've done that, and I'm out. And so no matter what level of college degree you may or may not have in the field, we're finding that one of the most effective approaches is those who have went through addiction, who have suffered and battled through it themselves and came out on the other side victorious. Yeah. They're the best ones to come back and be ambassadors for the program and say, look, if I can do it, you can do it. You know, and they share their stories and, and they're, they're compelling and they're, they're real. And it's something that, you know, you just don't really get from the book knowledge. So I think we have a great blend of real um, lived experience and book knowledge at Mile High Behavioral Healthcare. And I think both of those approaches uh, happening concurrently is what really is the, the magic for folks. Um, housing. Housing is, uh, is recovery. So, you know, people think substance abuse, housing, job, which one do you do first that's going to help the person the most? Well, look, um, it's, it's very hard to not have a roof over your head and try to stay off of a substance, particularly because being homeless is traumatizing itself. Uh, that very experience wants to drag you down deeper, yeah. uh, down a dark path. So to be able to provide housing is something that's really unique with the Miracles program. We got a house call, uh, called the Miracles House. We were able to uh, acquire it, flip it, uh, clean it up. It has uh, 10 units for women in our recovery programs. Yeah, uh, They're all homeless. Uh, and and they hope to uh, you know really kick their addiction, but we don't charge them any rent. We we waive the rent and say, look, you know you can stay here for free as long as you keep working the steps of recovery, as long as you keep working your plan. Uh, and it really is their plan, as Lauren mentioned. It's not you know we're we're the healthy doctor and you're the sick sick patient, and we're going to prescribe you something. No, it's really more empowering when you can kind of begin to get control of your own life and figure out what steps you want to take and commit to. And then you work that plan together with your therapist and you work with with, with each other to get better. Cindy, many times, uh, um, many times I'm sure the clients don't want their therapist 
like Lauren to know that they're not getting it done or that it's hard. What do they what do they say to you for support there or or they say I can't do it as James said as long as they continue to work their plan. How do you how do you help make sure that they continue to work that plan from Well, what, I get what really close to them and uh-huh. and um try to help them out with their needs. Do they ever tell you that why they got there in the first place? I didn't have enough money. I didn't graduate from school. Yes. And, and, and those are the keys. I'm drawing a, a difference between what they say to the clinician and what they say to a friend. Uh-huh. Most of the girls don't uh, talk to me like They don't that. talk to you? No. Why? Are they I mean, they'll say uh, what drugs they're coming off of, but... They don't really get into their life. Why do you think that there's a barrier there to, to you're not a clinician there at all, so uh, you're not evaluating them? As, as James said, the organization doesn't judge. Correct. But interesting. Lauren, what do they really, uh, what do you try to get to to keep people, other people who may not have come to you for uh, for assistance or support? I, I'm un, un, under control. I don't need it. Yeah, I'm using this, but... But it's not heroin, so therefore, since it's not heroin, I'm not a drug addict. Mm. But I still need some more oxycotton or whatever it is, you know. Like I'm not addicted because it's prescribed to me. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard that one a lot. <laughs> I'm still prescribed. I'm not addicted. Um, <laughs> they use that as a as a reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how? I mean, that's the ultimate reason, right? Like my doctor is still say giving me giving me the okay. Uh-huh. So how could it be wrong? Because they're the professional. So. How could it be wrong? If my doctor says it's cool and my doctor is still prescribing, it must be fine. Mm-hmm. And your message to them is? It's looking at how it's impacting their life. If maybe they weren't doing the best job parenting and now they have an open human service case while they're using these prescriptions, maybe looking at what, where is your focus? And is it something that you can still manage? And if it's not, let's really look at it in a very non-judgmental space and kind of assess are your goals being met? Is this where you want your life to be? And how do we get there? Because sometimes it's not always directly attacking that they have an addiction. It's, it's coming from a perspective of, okay, what does your life look like right now? Is this what you want to look like? Mm-hmm. If not, let's work on bringing that those pieces closer together to your ultimate goal. And sometimes coming at it from that angle will at some point address the addiction, where they don't want to address it right away, yeah. but we can say, hey, you have human services in your life. Let's figure out how to close this case successfully. And at some point, you will have to look at this. And they and I know that, but I don't have to say that right away. Yeah. And then when yeah. it comes out and they're ready, we'll handle it when they're ready. If you have a human services case, you got a problem, in essence. Yep, yep, or, but or, it's hard okay. to see. You have something to work on, mm-hmm. which is the best way of saying it. Right. They're in the space where I just have jumped through their hoops. I didn't do anything wrong. And I'm like, okay, well, how can I help you jump through these hoops? How can I help you get them out of your life successfully? And really, once they kind of start coming and start doing more, it almost always comes up when mm-hmm. they're like, I see that this is, that the substance I'm using, whether it's opiates or anything else, is impacting me and preventing me from getting my kids back or preventing me from getting these people out of my life. So let's address it. Lauren has just shared with us some of the reasons why people try to step around to James. But another one is, well, that happens to those people who live in Curtis Park, not the ones who live in Cherry Hills. And we have just as much of an issue with opioids in Cherry Hills, maybe more in Cherry Hills because they can afford it than those in Curtis Park. Now, are you finding that in some of your clients that are knocking on your door? Or because many times those who live in Cherry Hills send people to Canada. So uh, I don't believe any of our clients are from Cherry Hills because we only accept those who use Medicaid. Just use them as an example. Okay. (laughs) But it it is, yes, addiction sure is a problem that that has no, it it doesn't care how much money you have in your bank account. Uh, So uh, addiction, addiction just doesn't care. Uh, But to to, uh, Lauren's point, um, much like homelessness, uh, again, addiction is uh, a symptom. It's not the diagnosis. to get to the root of the problem is what we have to look at. So whether you're rich or poor, so to speak, or Cherry Hills or X, Y, and Z, the reality is that the same problems that touch our lives, like death in the family, like divorce, uh, like uh, your family splitting up or you losing a job, all of those same stresses uh, become roots to a problem. And how yeah. you how you take care of that problem 
hopefully you would make a a healthier choice. But the reality is that rich or poor, we're all human. Yeah. Well, you know, the reason I I just used uh, Cherry Hills and Curtis Park as a metaphor, but the same metaphor applies when you talk about homeless kids. And nobody wants to say you've got more than a thousand or two thousand homeless kids in Douglas County. Okay, same deal. Mm-hmm. And we know they're there because we've had them on this program. So that's what comes into it. And you answered it correctly that you know the um, the addiction is everywhere. You have an event that's coming up that's going to be helping you do some of this work. That's right. It's, it's called the Miracle Fashion Show. It's uh, themed on the four seasons. We're going to have it uh, Thursday, April nineteenth. 5.30 at the hangar at Stanley Marketplace. It's a sober event. A number of the models that are walking the runway are our, our current clients. Oh, okay. Uh, and we want to be able to celebrate recovery, celebrate sisterhood, uh, and celebrate really a, a, the art of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth chances, whatever it takes to make sure that nobody feels like they're left alone in the community. Is somebody helping us support you with the fashion and that kind of stuff too? Yeah, so we partner with the Art Institute. Student designers, they 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 know how to uh, do a whole runway show, top to bottom, the whole deal. So they are helping us with that, uh, putting that together, putting that whole program together for us. It's great. Are any of the uh, models also going to be walking with their kids, maybe, perhaps? Not this year. Reunited? We plan no. next year. Next year? Uh, but to your point, one of the biggest um, outcomes of our Miracles program is not just sobriety and recovery, but it's family reunification. You know, a lot of these moms, yeah, they've been separated from their kids uh, because of addiction and other issues. So working with Mile High Behavioral Health Care, working through the Miracles program, they get down the road to recovery and they're able to go back to the judge and advocate for their families to come back to them. And we've seen a yeah. lot of success there. Uh, where can uh, people get more information? Is it on the website? Is there a phone number they can call? Yep. So they can call 720 720-975-0155. Mm-hmm. And ask for my colleague Candy, and she is handling all the RSVPs for the event as well as corporate sponsorship. Okay, and so you don't have anything posted anywhere that they could read what you just read to me. Is there a website uh, address? Is it your uh, Mile High Behavioral Healthcare site? Yeah, so you can go to the Facebook page for mm-hmm. Mile High Behavioral Healthcare, and there's additional information on how to purchase tickets there. And this is going to be in April, just in uh, just after Easter. Yes. So people attending can wear their Easter duds and look as good as the ladies on the runway. That's right. Close to Mother's Day. So maybe it could be a mother-daughter event as well. Uh, but but come out and please help support these women. It's about women supporting women. It's about building a sisterhood of re- recovery. And we really do need the community to come step up to this big problem we've been talking about today and, and, and step up in a way, frankly, that's tangible, that we can make actionable in treatment and helping these folks. Okay, Lauren, how do we keep people from overusing these opioids? I mean, it, it can really get you. It can really help you. What, what do you. As a clinician, what do you say? How do we keep them from overusing? I think the best way to support anyone is through relationships. And I'm glad you asked me that question because when you're asking Cindy about how she supports the women, mm-hmm. a big part of that is just that relationship where Cindy comes in, she's helping these ladies make their quilts, She's not asking about what they when they use last. She's not asking about how their court case is. She's like, let me help you make something. Let me help you create something. And that's huge for some of these women when they've had a life of not finishing things, maybe feeling like a failure, coming in, working on a project and seeing something through to the end is huge. And being in a space where they're not an addict, they're not someone who's had their kids removed. They're not someone on probation. They're just a woman with other women chit chatting gossiping about the day, doing whatever they're doing and making quilts together and just socializing. And that's really huge. I think that's huge, that relationship piece. Mm-hmm. Really just being there and helping these individuals know that they're still human. Yeah. We're all human and you'd still deserve to be here and be part of this community. Cindy, final question to you. Somebody who is not in the program, who may be affected at home, what piece of advice would you give to them for support? Um, I just push them. And tell them that they can do it. And Miracles is the best place to go to. Yeah. I did it. Exactly. James, last time we talked, there was uh, you, were, you were trying to get some veterans to support a bill, so some politicals to support a bill to support veterans in there, right? That's right. It's H.R. 4099. It's the Homeless Veteran Families Act. 
And the issue is right now, if you are a homeless non-veteran family receiving shelter services, federal funds will pay a head and bed per diem to cover every member of that family and keep them together while they're homeless. But if you're a veteran and you have dependent children and a spouse, the VA only pays for the veteran and no one else in that family. And it makes veterans that have children, uh, it makes it very difficult for them to find safe and stable shelter when they're homeless. Mm -hmm. So in this political environment now, you think you have a chance of getting this bill passed? You know, it's a bipartisan bill. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was originally uh, sponsored and co-sponsored by one Republican, one Democrat. Uh, It has well over 128 co-sponsors currently of both parties. So I think that when we're talking about homeless veterans and making sure their families are taken care of, it looks like this issue is rising above partisan politics and Hopefully we will see some movement. We thank James Gillespie, clinician Lauren Brown, and volunteer supporter Cindy from Mile High Behavioral Healthcare for being our guest again on this edition. Should you or someone you know need assistance with opioid abuse, do contact Mile High Behavioral Healthcare at 303-825-8113. That's 303-825-8113. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch. Stay on your game. And we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Melissa Moore. Well, happy Easter to you. It is Sunday morning. I'm Melissa Moore, and this is Mile High Magazine. And tomorrow, a big day. It is World Autism Awareness Day, so definitely wear your blue in support. And I'm thrilled to have in here with me this morning, Catherine Dran, who's the chairman of the board for the Autism Society of Colorado. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, Monday, obviously a big day. The statistics I'm reading anywhere, depending on the research you look at, from 1 in 68 kids have autism to one in 45. Mm-hmm. And and so that's a lot. I that mean, is that is, I think all of us know somebody, and if you don't, you will with autism. Mm-hmm. The actual statistic, if you look at the numbers and digest them, is if you know seven people, you know someone affected by autism. Mm-hmm. And this could be the person with the autism diagnosis. It could be their parent or their grandparent. It could be a coworker. It could be a teacher or a medical provider. There are all sorts of ways that Autism has an effect on people, Mm -hmm. whether it's the person with the diagnosis or the person who's interacting with that person. Right. Family members, Mm -hmm. friends. I mean, it really does kind of have that spider web effect. Um, You and I have personally been affected by autism, but for people who are not as familiar, explain kind of in layman's terms, what is autism? Sure. At its foundation, no matter where on the spectrum of autism you fall, it is a different condition neurologically. It is a difference in communication, um, and it is a spectrum. So we are advocates and we're supporters for folks on the spectrum who are severely affected, who do not speak, who need 24-7 line-of-sight care, or they will harm themselves. On the other end of the spectrum are people who are mildly affected, who can hold jobs and have successful careers. Um, They might just need a little bit of assistance socially when it Mm -hmm. comes to interacting with coworkers or a boss or a manager. But aside from that, they are able to live independently, drive cars, have families of their own. So that entire spectrum of people. We are there to help them no matter what they might need. We are a clearinghouse for information, resources, outreach opportunities, all sorts of things for them to help them live as independently and as fulfilling a life as they can. And when you talk about we, you're talking about the Autism Society of Colorado. Explain um, for people, what exactly do you do? I know you said you're a clearinghouse, but what exactly is the mission of the Autism Society of Colorado? Well, simply put, the mission of the Autism Society of Colorado is to improve the lives of all affected by autism. So we are here for the people with the diagnosis. We are here for the people who are supporting those people. Um, And on an important occasion like Autism Awareness Day, we're also there for the people who might not know that they know somebody who is Mm -hmm. affected by autism. So we have three big prongs of services that we provide. The first one is education advocacy. We have two really dedicated education advocates who have spent years and years in the public education system who will help students, K-12, 
who have IEPs, Individualized Education Plans, to make sure that their IEP is functioning appropriately for their needs so that they can be successful in a K-12 environment. Mm -hmm. The second prong that we have is um, social outreach. We have lots of opportunities and um, calendar events that promote understanding at, on one hand for the general populace, like sensory-friendly films through AMC theaters and sensory-friendly days at area museums. Um, we also do um, gentle ballet up in Boulder. But these are all opportunities for the autistic community to participate in fine arts, arts and entertainment. It is additionally an opportunity for the typically developing community to engage with people with autism in mm -hmm. a friendly, family-friendly kind of a way. And additional components that AMC has put into their theater presentation for sensory-friendly films is the lights aren't down all the way. A lot of times if they have some sensory issues. Some of it has to do with they can't sit for two hours in a dark theater. They right. might have to get up and move around. So this way they can move around without banging into other guests that mm -hmm. are also trying to enjoy the movie. Right. Additionally, some of them have dietary restrictions. They have a gluten allergy or they have a casein allergy. So they can bring in snacks that they can consume instead of the ones that the movie theater provides that might not meet their dietary restrictions. Right, which is wonderful. So you were talking about the three prongs, mm -hmm. the IEP, the education, the social, the outreach, like the mm -hmm. AMC and the movie theaters are doing. What was the third? The third component is information and referral. So as a clearinghouse for information, we are here to provide info for families that are new to a diagnosis or info for families who are new to Colorado and need to to know where they can find resources. That includes uh, providers. It includes information about the public school system in their area. It also includes things like parent support groups that might be available for new families who want to find out what's available in their community. And because it's the Autism Society of Colorado, it is from north to south, from east to west. If you live in Colorado, you can call and get information about what's in your local area. And if you're just joining us, I'm Melissa Moore. This is Mile High Magazine, and we are talking to Catherine Duran. She is the chairman of the board for the Autism Society of Colorado. Tomorrow is World Autism Awareness Day, so definitely wear your blue tomorrow. Let's talk a little bit about the state of Colorado. How does the state of Colorado do as compared to other states with supporting kids and families with autism? We have have come a long way. Um, statistics show that Colorado is one of the best states for autism support in the United States. Autism Society of Colorado is one of the most active affiliate groups in the Autism Society of America. There is more stuff that we can do, though. We have made great progress for the K-12 community, for preschoolers and early intervention. One of the main objectives that we have going forward in the near future, though, is understanding that children with autism grow up to be adults with autism. Yes. So once they are adults, they will continue to require some kind of support, mm -hmm. whether it is job coaching or post-secondary education. We are there to help them with that next step so that they don't transition out of public education and then get lost in the system. Another component is once those adults with autism reach 55, they become senior citizens with autism. They still need to make sure they have social opportunities, that they have opportunities to go make sure their medical care is provided for. They're making their medical appointments and taking their medicine. So there is an entire component of adults with autism and their needs that we can now turn our attention to to make sure those people still receive the support and advocacy that they need to make their lives independent and satisfying. Well, with the numbers that we're seeing right now for autism, Autism Society of Colorado is only going to get bigger and busier. That's right. We are definitely getting busier. I'm sure you are. What makes Colorado one of the best states for families and children with autism? A lot of it has to do with the people in the state of Colorado. We are generally very friendly people. We like to spend a lot of time outdoors. 
another good component is we do have the ear of the Colorado legislature. Last year, we did have Autism Awareness Day declared by the state legislature, which was wonderful outreach on their part. For families that are just beginning this journey, I mean, it's terrifying. It's overwhelming. They call up the Autism Society of Colorado. What are some of the first things that you're doing and talking to them about? Well, some of the first things that we want to make sure of is they do have an official diagnosis. That is a medical diagnosis. If they do not yet, but they have information from their school system that teachers have observed certain traits in a student that they think might flag them as autistic, that they have a medical diagnosis. So one of the first steps, if they don't, is to make sure that they find the facilities that can provide a good diagnosis. Next, we want to make sure if they do have a diagnosis that they're being supported in the school. If they have an IEP already, do they need educational advocacy? If they do, we can supply that. Additionally, they tend to need support. They want to know that they're not the only people in this situation, that there are others that have gone before. Uh, So I guess the next big question here is we're going into Monday, and it is World Autism Day, and you're going to see a lot on Facebook and a lot of wear blue. What can the community do right now to help? Well, that's a great question, and one of the ways that they can get involved is to register for the Autism Society of Colorado's annual Walk with Autism, which will take place on June 10 up at Sloan's Lake State Park, which is kind of in that neat little area of town that's not quite Denver, not quite Edgewater. Not quite Highlands, but it's right there. Right. It's right there, very centrally located. It's a family-friendly, dog-friendly, grandma-friendly walk where people can bring whoever they want. They can bring their company walk team with them. They can bring their Boy Scout troop. They can just come and see what it's like. Take a day and walk with autism. Mm -hmm. So again, that's on June 10. Um, They can register to walk at the Autism Society's website, which is autismcolorado.org. We have a link there. We're going to have um, vendors. We're going to have entertainment. Shelvis and the Roustabouts is playing for us this year. Um, So the walk itself starts at 10 o'clock. People can show up and share a bagel with us and a cup of coffee. Dirt Coffee will be there for the event. Fantastic. Along with a lot of our other vendors who provide a little bit of insight for typical families into what it might be like to live with autism. And also for our families that are part of our community now, it's an opportunity to get out, Mm -hmm. walk around the lake and just be yourself. Right. What do you hear, um, being the chairman of the board for the Autism Society of Colorado, what are some of the misconceptions that you hear about regarding autism? Well, there's a lot of um, misunderstanding about what autism actually means. We have a lot of media representations that fortunately are getting replaced by positive images. Um, for example, The Good Doctor mm-hmm. is, is a good show to, to showcase what autism can be capable of. The danger, though, is generalizing right. because not all people with autism are going to become physicians. Right. There are other Folks with autism like Dr. Temple Grandin, who is one of our local self-advocate heroes up in in, uh, CSU, who have made amazing careers out of advocacy, large animal husbandry. There are other folks with autism who are working in IT in an environment down in an office building. There are other folks, though, who do not talk, who need care 24-7. So assuming if you know one person with autism, eh, you know one person with autism. Right. There there are differences in every single person where it comes together is in communication difficulties. Mm -hmm. That is across the spectrum, whether you are speaking to somebody who can't talk back to you or you are dealing with somebody who might just look a little socially awkward. There's the common line. So part of what we do as typical members of our community is reach a little bit further socially because the folks that we're talking to that are autistic don't know to reach back. They can't reach back. So we reach a little further. Which is wonderful. And I think one of the things, too, is we're talking about the spectrum. It really is everything from the nonverbal to the very high functioning Mm -hmm. 
who does just have a little social anxiety. I don't want to say a little because I don't want to downplay it, but social anxiety, social awkwardness, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call it. And it, it is a huge spectrum. It really is. You know, and I think one of the things that I have found is there there was this misconception that while well, people um, with autism don't want friendships, mm-hmm. they don't want that. And I'm like, that's not true. They just don't always know how to make and how to have a reciprocal relationship in those friendships. Right. One of the misconceptions around autism really has to do with the name itself. Mm-hmm. Autism has to do with being involved with oneself. And what we are finding as more research comes in is people with autism are not incapable of having friendships. Do not. It's not that they don't desire friendships. A lot of times the kids that you see in the movie theater with the headphones on, they are in there that way because they can't stop the input. It's not that they don't want to participate. It's just that it's too much for Mm -hmm. them. So part of that misconception is understanding that they are not just self-involved because that's what they know and that's what they're good at. It's because the world outside is so loud and unpredictable and colorful it can be overwhelming. Right. And that's a great way of putting it. World Autism Day, by the way, is coming up Monday, April 2nd. Wear blue. That's your way of showing support and just raising awareness. Uh, Catherine Dran, the chairman of the board for the Autism Society of Colorado. Thank you so much for being here today. Quite welcome. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And don't forget that walk is coming up June 10th. It's going to be at Sloan's Lake. And for more information, what's the website? It's autismcolorado.org. All right. Easy to remember. And tomorrow again, World Autism Day. So Wear blue. I'm Melissa Moore. Thanks for joining me on this Sunday morning for Mile High Magazine. You have been listening to Mile High Magazine, a look at the issues and people shaping Colorado, presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. If you have a suggestion for a future program or a question, please send an email to publicaffairs at bonneville.com. Thanks for listening to Mile High Magazine.